Welcome to another chapter of Family Fiction's Christian Fiction Bookshelf Podcast, where we give you a deeper look into your favorite Christian authors and the inspirations, research, and methodology that goes into writing the books you love to read. Here's your host, Jamie Vaughn. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Vaughn with Family Fiction's Christian Fiction Bookshelf Podcast. And today's episode of the Christian Fiction Bookshelf Podcast is brought to you by Bethany House. And our guest today, is Jen Toronto, and she is here to talk to us about her latest book called This To Spark a Match. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So tell me what you can about the book without giving too much away. Well, I just so happen I have a copy here. Okay. So this is Miss Adelaide Devine, and she showed up in the first book. Um, a match in the making. But as an aside, I write my books as standalones, so you don't necessarily have had to have read this one to understand what's going on here. Gotcha. Okay. And Adelaide, she is a misfit, and um, she just doesn't fit into high society. So it's set within the New York 400, and she's constantly just finding herself in odd situations. And she's some of those situations have been set up by what we would call mean girls, and but she's very kind and she mm-hmm. so so she she finds herself it opens up um she's walking across the drawing room and um at, with an intimate dinner party of 200 because that was considered intimate with 200 back then and she has gotten the hem of her skirt tucked into the back of her bustle exposing oh, no. her drawers to all these members of the new york 400 and so she decides she's going to make her escape she's a great she's an avid reader so she always has a book handy and she also loves cats. And unfortunately the drawers she has on are embroidered with cats. Um, so she's given everyone quite the eyeful. So she makes her escape and she goes into the library and she just happens upon Mr. Gideon Abbott. And he is a man with a mysterious past. He's okay. like an intelligence agent, right? And he is in the midst of a situation that has just gone south really rapidly. And he's in a bit of a pickle. So Adelaide helps him out. Um, and because of that, she finds herself drawn into his world of intrigue and she's put into danger. So Gideon feeling horrible that he's, you know, that he's, that he's brought her into his world, but he's also very grateful because she did help him out of this pickle. He decides to prevail upon Miss Camilla Pierpont, who is a matchmaker. Um, and she has her own story that'll be coming up later. Um, and she's very proper. She's one of the most proper ladies in the New York 400. And he convinces her not to set her up with a match, but to turn her into a diamond of the first water. And okay. so... Because they are very good friends, Camilla agrees to this because she thinks it'll be a challenge. And it just goes from there. And, of course, because it's Adelaide, there's a lot of, you know, just really interesting situations that happen. One of my favorite parts was the when I was doing research, she needed to have weapons because now she's in Gideon's world, right? And there's weapons involved. And there I found this. It is a grappling hook that shoots out of a pistol. Real life. It actually was back in those days. And so that plays a part in this book. Okay. So I know what the uh, New York 400 is, but for our viewers, explain what that is. Okay. So New York High Society came about. um, 
So after the Gilded Age really started after the Civil War. And that's where I write. I write in the Gilded Age. And um, what happened was New York City had the old money. They were called Knickerbockers. Mm -hmm. And the Knickerbockers did not like the nouveau riche that were coming into town. You know, um, the Vanderbilts, for one. They, um, they, you know, they, it was, they thought that they were uncouth. Right. So Carolyn Astor decided that something had to be done, along with Ward McAllister, who was the social arbiter of the day. And they formed, like, an elite society. And mm -hmm. Ward McAllister is the one who called it the 400. Um, but interestingly enough, one of the reasons it's like history historians disagree about what how that really happened, but Carolyn Astor had a brownstone on Fifth Avenue, mm -hmm. and it wasn't one of the fancy big houses yet back in the beginning of the 1800s. It was a brownstone. I mean, it was big, but it could only comfortably fit 400 people in the ballroom. Only so <laughs> only 400. So that's where Ward came up with that. And then toward the late 1880s, he finally finally handed over a list of who compiled up of the 400 mm -hmm. and there weren't 400 names on there and some of them were repeated and it was kind of so it was just a snobbish thing but yeah. everybody wanted to get into there so carolyn astor was the one you had to get through to be included into the 400 and alba vanderbilt did in 1883 she forced carolyn astor's hand by because they were excluded carolyn astor never paid a call on her and when they did calling back then, it wasn't that the women actually even got out of their carriage. They would just pull their carriage up and their groomsmen would take their calling card in. And that was paying a call on someone because they were just really busy. That's how they spent their yeah. mornings late afternoon. Well, Carolyn had never paid a call on Alva Vanderbilt. So Alva decides to host this ball in 1883. And she held it after she held it in March, which is really past when the season normally was. <laughs> and Carolyn daughter Carolyn really wanted to go and she was supposed to perform in the star quadro and she'd been practicing like crazy and then Alva played her card because she said well I'm so sorry I can't invite the Astors to the ball because Carolyn your mother has never paid a call on me so Carolyn Astor supposedly got in her carriage drove over to the Vanderbilt house had her card done and then Alva Vanderbilt and that's when you start seeing the Gilded Age turn a little crazy it just yes. got more and more extravagant yeah. um conspicuous consumption it was it's i mean it's a fascinating period so yeah. that's what the 400 is it's yeah. a really high snobby society yeah i um actually just watched a um, documentary on it on the history channel so it was oh. yeah so it was fun to watch all of that and then i'm um, reading about this book it was like oh okay so it all kind of fits in there together um so why did you pick the gilded age and how does it influence your writing so when I first started writing historical romances, that's not, that wasn't really my first genre. It took okay. me, um, it took me five years to find an agent, five years and seven manuscripts wow. before I found an agent. Um, and I just, I read a lot of historical romance. So I mm -hmm. finally went, I experimented with different genres and I finally went back to historical romance and that was my sweet spot. Um, and I knew that immediately because I would send out query letters and I was getting all these requests for, to see the full manuscripts. So I had read the first historical I did was actually Regency. And, okay. but um, I found this book, Consuela and Alba Vanderbilt. So I read this book and I'm like, this is fascinating. And there wasn't much written about the Gilded Age when I started. So I said, you know, huh. So then I got another book. Uh, it's called A Season of Splendor. 
um, the court of Mrs. Astor. So I read that one and I'm like, I have to write a book like this. And um, so that's, that's where, why I decided to set a change of fortune in the Gilded Age in New York city. And I've just, I've been there ever since it's, it's just, it's a great time period. I mean, in the stories, there's so much story for fodder because it was, it was crazy. It was yeah. just crazy. Yep. So tell me about um, these matchmaking people that were in the Gilded Age. Was Is this a real thing or is this just they something? Did have, they did have, they, I have taken some creative license. I'm just going to admit that I have, but <laughs> they did have matchmakers. There's this one, Mamie Paget, I believe her name is. So she was from a, a somewhat wealthy family. She mm -hmm. probably only had a million dollars in those days um, because a lot of these people like the Vanderbilts, when um, the Commodore Vanderbilt died, he was worth a hundred million dollars. Mm -hmm. And so that would be billions today. Right. Yeah. So she wasn't considered the cream of the crop in the United States. So she right. went over to England and she, and over in England, all of the aristocracy, they loved her. Mm -hmm. So then you start getting into where people like the Vanderbilts, Alba Vanderbilt insisted her daughter Consuela marry, a, a, well, a Duke didn't work out well. Um, but this, this Mrs. Paget, she would perform the introductions. She mm -hmm. was the matchmaker and she's, she's actually written about that. She did this. Um, and then there were other ones just, you know what I mean? Like the local, you know, women's club and they would get together but i did take some license on it because you can't find like specifics on how they were compensated mm -hmm. um i found a few references that yes like they wouldn't accept money because that was considered you'd be in trade and of course if you're a member of the 400 you cannot be in trade so you know they would deliver you know a, a beautiful diamond bracelet if, if a match was made things like that but yeah there were matchmakers back then but it was very discreet and the gentlemen were not allowed to know that there were matchmakers oh. there. Mm -hmm. Okay, nice. Yes. So yes. how did you pick Gideon's job as being an intelligent agent? Um, I was just, you know, I have a box that, um, so I do a lot of research. Like right now I'm researching stuff on Chicago. So I have a pile of books over here and they're all just, I pulled out one just to show you because if anybody's interested in the 400, this is called the first 400. Okay. Um, super cool. Um, and it's, so it actually lists all of those people Ward McAllister said, and it gives you some descriptions about them. So I do a t I do a ton of research. And when I run across things, I ran across um, that the first official like intelligence agency was, was connected to the Navy and it wasn't, and, and it was very secret secret. And it was, and so I saw that I'm like, you know, that would be cool to have, one of my heroes work with this first intelligence agency. I mean, they had intelligence gathering, like even in the revolutionary war, things like this, but it wasn't formal. So this was a formal right. thing connected to the Navy. So that's how I got up with Gideon's idea to do that with him. Okay. So what was the most interesting thing you found in your research? Oh, let's see. Well, there was a lot. Again, that grappling hook was great. Mm -hmm. uh, um, what else did I learn? Well, let's see. So I'm on like, I've had two books ahead of this, so I have to refresh my memory on what the story is actually about. But it was like the weapons, and then that was very interesting. And then um, I think there's some old books listed in here that I, because 
Adelaide opens up a bookstore um, where she actually kind of, she's kind of given a bookstore at one point in the story, because again, she's an avid reader. Right. So I did do like a bunch of old books because I was looking for to fill. They have a room upstairs where they would have like the, the, the really expensive volumes. Mm -hmm. and so that was interesting, but I can't, I can't come up with one title of a book right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I'm that way when people ask me like, what's their name? I'm like, I knew it until you asked me. So yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm like, draw the blank here. Yeah. So what do you feel, or let me rephrase that question. How, how did you fall into writing romantic comedies and why is that um, something that you enjoy so much doing? You know, it just seems to be, it's just natural for me. You okay. know, I have a really weird sense of humor. Um, I just look at life a little bit differently. Um, mm -hmm. Weird things happen to me all, all the time. So a lot of the, how the book opens up, with her getting her, the hem of her skirt stuck mm -hmm. in her muscle. That was from real life experience for me. Um, that happened to me. I majored in fashion. So I used to work um, in department stores until mm -hmm. I had my son. And I was, I was out on the floor. I was helping customers and I was helping men and they would not look me in the eye. It was the weirdest thing ever. And I had no idea what was going on. One of my really good customers came in. Her name was Donna. Donna, I've got a great tip for you. We just got this new line of DKNY, and do you want to, you know, do you want me to schedule you for a private showing? And she goes, oh, yeah, 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 that'd be great. She goes, Jen, but come here. She goes, I have a tip for you. She's like, the hem of your skirt is tucked into the back of your pantyhose. And I was like, oh, and I had Mickey Mouse underwear on. So it was so embarrassing. And I have been trying for years to fit that into one of my stories because it's hilarious like yeah. it only happened to me you know yeah. and of course I, I must have waited on like seven men and they just and i when i tell you they fled they mm -hmm. fled from my presence after they finished whatever they were looking for yeah. I and mean, they ran out of the department i was like i have to put that in a book so it's just things like that happen all the time when i was a lifeguard i was sitting you know twirling my whistle gust of wind came up the umbrella folded on me so all you could see were my legs and then so i'm trying to get out and another gust came and it took me into the pool i mean nobody has stuff like that happen to them. i must drown it's really difficult to get out of an umbrella when you're in the right. 12 foot section and you're sinking right but so it's just stuff like that it's just natural for me to put that in there and um yeah so i like to do so i'm, I'm a conversational author it's, it's a lot of conversation It just, but with comedy, it has to be because it has yeah. to flow really fast or it drags down the story. So, yeah. um, you know, but it, yeah, like it doesn't like, I don't get funny. I do seven edits before I turn a book in to mm -hmm. my editors for the first time. And then they're going to make suggestions and I'm going to rewrite it again anyways, but right. I go through it. So about, about edit number five, that's when I start getting funny because then I'll start trimming things and I make it faster. So, yeah. Well, everyone, this is the first time we've talked about underwear on family fiction. So, <laughs> <laughs> Minnie Mouse at that. Yes. Why not? Um, so, when the reader gets through this book and it gets to the words, the end, and they close that back cover, what do you want them to take away from it? You know, the, the point of this book was really that it's okay to be different. Mm -hmm. um, so Camilla will take Adelaide in hand, so to speak. But really the realization is, is that she's fine just the way she is. Mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't need to be changed. And then, you know, I do a lot of 
work with teens. I work with a lot of teen writers. Um, and they, they're always so self-conscious that, you know, you know, are they made fun of because they they like to read books or that they like right. to, uh, you know, they like to write or whatever. And you know what? Like I've always been weird. So, and I'm fine with that. And yeah. when I was in high school, you know, or, or younger, um, like elementary school, middle school, you know, I, it, I, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be different, but mm -hmm. then you just come to the realization that, you know what, it's okay. And the older I got, it was like, you know, it's perfectly fine. I'm just, I'm yeah. just a weird girl. And so that's really what I wanted to impart because yeah, I work with so many mm -hmm. teens and it's like, it's okay. It's okay. You like to read or, you know what I mean? Or mm -hmm. one of them likes to knit and it's, it's okay. You can, yeah. you can knit or you don't, you don't have to wear what everyone else is wearing. I mean, I've always like gone off the deep end with fashion, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, and all of that's okay. So that's really what I wanted to impart for, you know, for, for some of my readers, just that, you know, just embrace who you are and yeah. um, you don't need to change. You know, if, if, if people can't accept you for who you are, then those aren't your people. Right. You have to find your people. Yeah. And God made us all different anyway. So mm -hmm. we don't copy each other. Yeah. I can exactly. Mm -hmm. So what's next for you? Um, so right now um, I finished the third book in the series. It's called meeting her match and it is Camilla, the matchmaker's okay. story. Um, she has quite the mystery surrounding her. She's vowed to never marry. Why? I'm not telling you. Okay. Um, so I just, I'll be releasing the cover for that. It's, it's one of my favorite covers of all times. Um, it's absolutely gorgeous. I'm going to be releasing that to the public next week. And then um, the only thing I have left to do on that book, I have to do, um, I've already turned in the development on it. So I just have co copy and line edits to do and then the design pages. So okay. that, those are super easy. That's, that's not a big deal. And then, so now I just signed a four book contract um just about like maybe a month and a half ago so i'm just starting it's the mary the Meriwether academy for young ladies and um it well three of those books will be in the academy and then the fourth book is going to be a christmas book um that i've been dying to do for a while so i just started getting into that uh, i've been on vacation i went back to my hometown of ohio because i had a high school reunion i had to attend and during that time i was doing like Na I thought I knew the names. Um, no, not a single name cooperated. I got back. I started writing. <laughs> Nobody wanted to be who I thought they were going to be. So mm -hmm. I have, I think, I think I'm in business. I think, well, at least I think I have the hero. Well, I'm not even going to tell you that because he's still a little iffy, but the heroine's name is going to be Annalise. <laughs> at least this week, she's Annalise. Next week, she might change her mind and I don't know what she'll be, but yeah. So that's oh. what I'm working on. It should be fun. Oh, well, congrats on the new contract. That's always Thank exciting. You. I love hearing when the authors, you know, have done such a good job that those publishing houses want to extend those contracts and keep them there. And, you know, yes, it, um, it, it has been, it's been an interesting journey. Um, I, I think I signed my first contract in 2011. Wow. I'm turned into one of the old people, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jen, thank you so much for spending time with us today on the Christian Fiction Bookshelf Podcast. And everyone, make sure you go out now and get the spark to spark a match available at your local Christian bookstores or wherever you buy books and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Family Fiction's Christian Fiction Bookshelf Podcast. Stay up to date on all things Christian fiction at familyfiction.com. 
Christian Fiction Bookshelf is produced by Ross Kluver, hosted by Jamie Vaughn, and edited by Brandon Woolham. Subscribe today wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss a chapter.